I'm Jeff Cohen. Chana Lipitz is an educator, writer, and public speaker who helps people integrate Jewish mysticism into their daily lives. She runs Geulavision, a website with content and focuses on the end of the Jewish exile. She lives with her husband and kids in Pomona, New York, not too far from where I grew up in New City, New York. Her journey from Saturday to Shabbos is both unusual and fascinating, so let's get to it. Chana, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. So, you know, I mentioned I'm from New City. Where were you born and raised? I was actually born in Baltimore. And then when I was about three, we moved to Binghamton, New York. And that's where I was raised. Okay. I know Binghamton pretty well. A lot of my friends went there for college. So tell me a little bit about your childhood as far as being in Binghamton and what it was like from a religious perspective. Well, growing up in Binghamton, I actually grew up, I like to say, vaguely Catholic. You know, we put up a tree and we did, you know, baskets that time of year, but there was no real, you know, day-to-day religious experience. But I was, from my earliest age, kind of a spiritual seeker. From age three, I was asking my mother all types of existential questions like, why are we? And so, yeah, my experience growing up in Binghamton, religiously at least, was pretty vague and open. Well, so why do you think you were asking these questions? It's interesting that you're saying your family wasn't really religious, but it seems like there was something inside you that was seeking even as early as three, you just said. Absolutely. So since I started learning Hasidic Jewish mysticism, it has been so incredible for me to look back on my journey and be able to have a deeper insight into what was going on for me. And all of us can ultimately do this. The more Torah we learn, the more of this deeper consciousness that comes from Torah that we integrate, we can look back on our lives from really the deeper levels of our soul's point of view and understand what was happening. So when I look back now with the, you know, the sense of reality that I have through the Torah that I've learned and the inner work that I've done, I can look back and recognize that that was my neshama, that was my Jewish soul, which in each one of us is always looking for deeper reality and transcendence. And so that was really my Jewish soul, you know, the core of who I really was, kind of waving and saying, hey, here I am, and I want to orient myself to reality. Right, so it's like you were asking questions, you just didn't know where to find the answers when you were a little kid, and neither of your parents were really deeply religious at that point either, so you're having kind of a traditional secular upbringing? Yeah, pretty much, and both of my parents are very spiritually open people, but you know, these were not necessarily the questions that they had delved into so much themselves. So as you were kind of asking these questions and you're getting a little bit older, is it informing kind of maybe where you want to go to school and what you want to study when you grow up? Or are you thinking career is going to be this way and I have a whole other side of me that's the spiritual religious side? Well, there was a good amount of time that I, you know, anyone who asked me, what did you want to be when you grow up? I told them I wanted to be a paranormal investigator. That was my giant career aspiration. (laughs) (laughs) I remember on the first day of third grade, you know, the teacher went around and asked us, you know, everybody, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we had, you know, doctor, nurse, firefighter. And she got to me and I was like, I want to be a paranormal investigator. And she was like, oh my gosh, we've got a live one here. It's going to be an interesting year. So, (laughs) so I was always, always looking for what is deeper than this reality that seems to be presenting itself. I was just always so fascinated by like, there has to be so much more than what we're initially being presented. I've seen this with a bunch of our guests where because they haven't discovered Judaism yet or haven't, or they are Jewish and haven't become observant yet, 
they're seeking and they're going to all these unusual and interesting places to try to find answers because it yeah. just hasn't come to them yet that they might find it in the Torah. So as you're going through these teen years, where are some of the places you're looking and where are some of the ways that you're seeking to try to get answers to these questions that started when you were three? Right. I devoured anything that I could on the supernatural, whether it's ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, <laughs> the abominable snowman, literally whatever it is. I remember I remember going to Barnes and Nobles with my mom one day. I must have been in like fourth grade. And, you know, we were allowed to get a new book. And I found this book, you know, Mysteries of Animal Intelligence. And it's about, you know, animals having sixth sense and things like that. So I, w I guess you could say I was really looking in places that later I would understand are defined as, you know, more new age or pop spirituality. But even with within those movements, there is a really deep and true spiritual longing and people who are truly trying to connect to something deeper and figure out the same way I was trying to figure out in that phase of my journey, like what's really here and just using the data that's available to them to create a picture. Right. And you said your parents were kind of open from a spiritual perspective, not necessarily religious. So they were encouraging you to do all this investigating and looking and did they find it interesting, like the places you were going to try to get answers and they were supporting this journey for you? They were. Like, I remember in in my period of time when I wanted to be a paranormal investigator. So we would go to Cape May, New Jersey every summer for vacation. And Cape May is one of the like most haunted towns in America. <laughs> so, you know, to in order to support me, like my father took me, they have like the Cape May ghost tour and they take you around to all the different locations and tell you the stories. And it was led by somebody whose actual career was a paranormal investigator. So my father encouraged me to stay after and talk to them about the different experiences that they'd had and, you know, how to get into the field, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and so they were incredibly supportive of, you know, my my questioning and my, you know, my journey. And they even found you a mentor and not someone who's like a doctor or a lawyer. They found you the exact person in the field you said you were going to go into. <laughs> a paranormal investigator. <laughs> Exactly. So you have this in the back of your mind as you're approaching the college years. Does that impact where you go to school and what you're looking to study? So at that point, I had lost a lot of sense of my spirituality as far as like my baseline consciousness. My parents had divorced when I was around 11, and it was a very traumatic and drawn out experience. So for most of my adolescence, you know, teenage or high school years into into beginning of college, I was really deeply in survival mode. So at that point, I wanted to study filmmaking. And so I went to Ithaca College. I had an intuitive sense that like Ithaca is the only place I want to go. I need to be there. It was the only college I applied to. I did early decision. And I was like, if I don't get in, I'm going to go to community college for a year and reapply. I just had this deep intuitive sense like I, I need to go to Ithaca. So I did. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Ithaca studying filmmaking. I just want to say, though, for a moment, yeah. the way you were describing your parents as like so supportive of you exploring, it was just kind of sad to hear that it took that twist that the relationship didn't work out. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's a deep divine providence. Everything that we go through in our life is orchestrated for our overarching divine purpose, which we've been playing out through multiple lifetimes. So even though the experience itself was very traumatic, you know, thank God, again, when we look back with deeper wisdom, when we've evolved, especially when we've evolved and healed in the context of Torah wisdom and a relationship with God, a conscious relationship with God, you can look back from the perspective of your soul and plug into what were some of the reasons why 
our souls coordinated this before we came in or why God had to make this happen given the ultimate journey and mission of this lifetime. And I'm very grateful for that perspective. And so you're at Ithaca. I'm guessing the seeking side of you is not going away. You're studying filmmaking, but I imagine from the way you've described your childhood, you're still searching. So what's going on during those years as far as looking for answers? So I had read the book in high school, Many Lives, Many Masters, by the psychiatrist Dr. Brian Weiss. And he, in his practice, had totally by accident come to discover that when he was doing hypnotherapy with clients, they were sometimes accessing memories from what seemed to be past lifetimes and also being able to consciously access states of in-between life when their souls would have left one lifetime and returned, you know, into the spiritual dimensions to for those afterlife processes. And his clients were beginning to be able to access these with immense therapeutic benefits. And that was something that I found so incredible. The idea of reincarnation and and past lives, obviously we know it's in Torah. It's like, yep, that's how reality works. But to me, it was a big chiddish. It was a big like, whoa, this could actually be real. And science and spirituality are coming into almost a singularity here. And we're seeing that this is having real benefits for people in their lived experience. So that was something that struck a deep chord in me. A piece of what my soul was looking for was like remembering that true reality and remembering who we really are. And as an interesting side note, the Arizal actually says that in the period of time called Yamos HaMashiach, which is the beginning stage of Geula, which the Lubavitcher Rebbe told us 30 years ago we had entered into, that each of us essentially is going to be able to get a download of what I like to call our expanded biography, all of our past lives. And you find it's more and more common that people are doing past life regressions or having what they feel like deep intuitive memories from experiences that they had not in this lifetime. It's kind of becoming just more mainstream to be like, yeah, this is actually how reality works and we're starting to plug into that. So um, I reread that book in my freshman year of college and it really felt like, you know, water to a parched soul, essentially. And then at the it was at the end of my freshman year of college or the beginning of summer break that I had my really big finding God paradigm shifting experience. So let me just stop you there for a second, because when you say finding God, somebody who's listening to this podcast might be thinking Hashem. But I wonder at that point in your life, because you, you mentioned you're vaguely Catholic was how you described your, your upbringing. Right. So mm-hmm. w- what does God mean to you at, at that part of your life? So previous to the big finding God experience, um, I didn't know. I, I was, even though, you know, we all come into the world with an intuitive sense of God, with an intuitive sense of of a guiding creative force that is here, that's involved. And then the things that we go through, if that connection with that part of us that knows is not nurtured, it will get covered up. It will get covered up by, you know, human programming, essentially, you know, by other forces who have an investment in trying to cover up that voice. So at that point, I think I was largely terrified of the idea of God because I had been unconsciously programmed essentially with this idea of like the big mean meanie in the sky who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. And I wasn't consciously aware of that. But as I began to get a deeper self-awareness, I realized that unconsciously that was the picture and the program that I had running around God. 
So at that point, I really didn't know. I was uncomfortable with the idea because, again, I had, you know, the big mean meanie in the sky picture, unfortunately. So you're trying to think of it maybe in a more positive way when you have this visual of like a, a negative perception of God. So what do you start studying or looking into or how do you start expanding your thought process to move away from that perspective? So for me, it was very experiential. It was not intellectual at all. I was in a really, now I was, you know, my mother always thought throughout my child years I was having an existential crisis, but now I was having a real existential (laughs) crisis. Um, And, you know, all of my trauma kind of finally caught up to me and I was really feeling it. I was really feeling the weight of it. And the day, I still remember the moment that, you know, this total and complete experiential awareness of Hashem, God, came into my life. I'm blessed to remember the exact moment I was laying down on the floor at my father's house and I was just staring up at the ceiling just thinking like what is going to be with me like I don't know how I'm going to survive any of this and all of a sudden these words just poured out of me and I just said I don't know who you are I don't know what you are I don't even know if you're real but I can't live without you anymore and I was talking to God and it was just my soul finally emerging from within those depths and in that moment, you know, in the Torah, it teaches us that if we give Hashem an opening the size of the head of a needle, he'll open for us, you know, the grand the grand chambers. And that's what happened. That was the opening that he needed, that my soul needed. And all of a sudden, I was just like flooded from within with this intuitive knowing of like, there is a God. Like, yes, there is a God and he is intimately involved with with everything. And you have a soul and everybody's a soul and it's an infinite journey. So in order to kind of anchor that intuition, I started um, being pulled toward, you know, more new age texts, like um, conversations with God. And I started getting pulled again, just intuitively toward like trying to figure out like, okay, how does everything work now? I know there's a God, that's a given. I know he's in my life. I started talking to him all the time. And the more we talk to Hashem, we actually sensitize ourselves to tuning in to how everything in our reality is his conversation with us. So I was enjoying playing with that, like, oh my gosh, I can talk to him and I will see these synchronicities. If I tune in, if I open myself, I will see all of these synchronicities in my reality. And that was incredible to see and to come into this experiential relationship with the universal soul, with, with the creator. But at this point in your life, none of this is really about Judaism yet, even though a lot of what you're talking about, if we were dealing with someone who was like raised as a secular Jew, all this would really be about Judaism and finding that connection. You're making the connection first, and then it's like the religious piece is going to come later in your story. So it's a little bit reverse of a lot of the folks we've spoken to. Right, because if we really understand what the Torah is, especially the mystical dimension of Torah, it's a description of reality. It's not a philosophy. It's not some external knowledge to how the world functions. It's actually a description of true reality. So anybody who wants to plug into true reality, like truly deeply with a true desire in their soul, you know, it says if we call out to Hashem in truth, we are answered. So when you truly want to know, you start plugging in intuitively to how reality works. But again, it has to go beyond intuition, and we then have to have a clear picture intellectually of what's going on and the right terms and context to describe things. So that's where, ultimately, as what happened with me, you know, Hashem led me back to the texts and the teachings of Torah so then I could have the proper and true context for the things that were true and accurate according to Torah, but they need to be put into a holy context. 
makes perfect sense. And you mentioned in your previous answer this phrase of like new age thinking. So this was going on during your college years. So what did that mean to you? And what were some of the things you were practicing as you explored it? So in the end, what I was practicing was was really hisbonanus and hisbodedus, which are two practices in Hasidus. So it was a lot of going into the woods and pouring my heart out to God just having this really deep, raw, organic relationship with him, because Ithaca is beautiful, and the campus of Ithaca College, they have a huge, um, it's not exactly a nature preserve, but beautiful trails for hiking through the woods, so I would skip as many classes as I could without endangering my grades and head into the woods to, like, now I have the word fabrank. It's a Hasidic (laughs) term for coming together to, like, have, like, a real, raw, spiritual talk with each other. So I would go into the woods and fabrang with God. And the shifts that were happening in me and in my consciousness, my perception of reality were just incredible. And um, I spent a lot of time just thinking about God and how he shows up in the world. And, you know, the things that I was reading, the wisdom from different spiritual traditions, just thinking deeply into it and, you know, finding that that was shifting how I was relating to others, to myself, to the world. And yes, spending a lot of time in just this free flowing organic relationship with with the creator at that point. College and social life can be a very tenuous time for people. So I'm assuming you have this like circle of friends and you're telling them, guys, I'll see you in a couple hours. I'm going into the woods. Are you with a group of friends that are supportive or are they seeing this like some kind of strange habit? It was very strange to them. And I I withdrew into myself a lot because I had a tremendous amount of healing to do. So I became a little bit of a hermit for a while, but it was very necessary. And a lot of people, when people go through deep spiritual changes and on healing journeys we find that we do have to sometimes go through this withdrawal so my sisters were very supportive of it I kind of like led my sisters into this kind of like spiritual journey in their own lives but in general I was pretty isolated for a while and it was really necessary for me to go through those deep transitions in in my psyche and so I imagine the folks who are listening to your story up to this point are saying, I wonder when like Judaism makes its first like entry into the yep. story. So I'm guessing there's a turning point <laughs> yes. somewhere. Is it in college where, where it makes its first point of entry for you? It is in you? college. Okay. So what happened? Yes. So I was having all these crazy spiritual experiences and intuitive experiences, and it was getting really ungrounding. And so I started from an even deeper place feeling like, okay, I did not come into this world to just then go flying around up in the clouds and all this spiritual bliss. Like there's no way that that's the point of life. Like otherwise, why would we come into this physical world? So I started praying. I started praying, added to my daily conversations with God. I need you to show me like a solid path. Like what path do you want me to walk in this world? And it was probably only a couple months. This was my junior year of college. And it was probably only a couple of months that I really started focusing, you know, my intention and my relationship with God in that direction. Um, But I ended up making a new friend and this friend invited me to a class at a Chabad house. And what the rabbi was teaching about was one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's teachings on the saying of our sages that one hour of tshuva, which really means spiritual transformation and good deeds in this world is worth all the bliss of the world to come. And I was like, okay, God, you got my attention because that's exactly what I've been asking you for. Show me how this world is where it's at. Not all the bliss of the world to come of the spiritual worlds. And we should all, please God, have incredible spiritual experiences, but they need to be anchored within the context of like a healthy, grounded human life as well. So, you know, God really got my attention with with that teaching. And um, I found that Hasidus was describing everything that I had intuited 
about how the universe works like on a technical level and souls and soul journeys but it was now introducing this piece of within the context of mitzvahs and you know the solidified tradition of torah and you know at first i felt resistant to that because i had been miss anti-organized religion mm-hmm. But I started going to Shabbos dinner and I fell in love with the Shabbos table. So again, for me, it was more of like started experiencing reality differently. And um, it was this very experiential thing. So that's that was really the turning point for me when I started learning Hasidus and started going to Shabbos. So let me ask you a question about this class you went to. Were you invited by somebody who was Jewish and did they know that you were not? And I'm wondering why they thought this was like a good class for you to go to. So... He was Jewish. He knew that I wasn't Jewish. He had grown up conservative and was also a spiritual seeker. And he had just met this rabbi and was like, okay, you're going to love this class. And the first time I met this guy, he t- he was like, by the way, you're Jewish. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. I think you're <laughs> totally wrong. And then the third time I met this friend who invited me to the Chabad house, he told me that he was going to marry me. And I was like, no, you're totally incorrect. And 15 years later, we're married with four kids. So... <laughs> He was right. Sometimes the guy's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rarely, but this time he was. <laughs> so wait, the same the, the person who invited you to this class is the same person who ultimately becomes your husband? Yes. Was there an interest in a romantic way? Or you think it was just like, hey, we're friends and I think this class will be interesting. And then kind of the relationship side comes later. Well, the night we met, it was actually at my, my cousin's 21st birthday party. He was he was hitting on me, and I was not interested. So I started talking about reincarnation to try to freak him out. <laughs> but it backfired because he was into all the same stuff. He was into all the same stuff. So we ended up staying up until 5 a.m. talking about God and purpose and spirituality. So there was a, an initial like soul recognition, but there was no romantic interest until later. Got it. So he was raised as like a completely secular Jew, you said? Yes. Yep. Okay. But you both have this kind of seeking in common. Yes. And now you're going to this class together and you're starting to go to Shabbos meals. Are you doing anything else that would kind of fall under Jewish observance? The very beginning was just going to classes and Shabbos, but very quickly, you know, the resistance in me to like organize religion kind of dissolved. And I realized that the intellectually honest and spiritually honest thing to do would be to you know start a journey toward conversion which would mean adopting more things so one of the first things that i actually adopted was actually sneas the dress code of modesty for women wow so see i have a lot of friends who you know the unfortunately were marrying someone of a different faith and they for whatever reason convinced the other person that they should convert but they were planning to raise their family secular So it wasn't the same conversation as what the two of you were having, because you converting means taking on all these mitzvahs. And these are things that he's also not doing and is not familiar with. So what is that conversation like as the relationship is getting more serious? You're talking about converting. So is he talking about becoming more observant than how he was? Yes, we were on very, very parallel paths, because the more each of us were learning, because our entire psyches for each of us individually were totally about what does God want from me? Like, how am I supposed to show up in this world as my truest self in alignment with the vision of the creator? We were both totally on that track. So the more we were learning, the more it was a total parallel recognition of like, this is the way to be. And, you know, for me, there was the added dimension of needing to constantly check in with myself because it was such a departure from like being anti-organized religion. Is this really who I am? Is this really what's true for me? But, you know, the higher parts of my soul were just like pushing me, pushing me, pushing me to, 
you know, return to my true self. So you make the decision that you're going to convert. I'm wondering what's that conversation like with your family and what is his family saying as a relationship is getting more serious? So my family knew that I was, you know, very like into Judaism and I think it was my senior year of college. My father called me one night and it was during Hanukkah and he was like, so what are you doing? And I was like, well, it's Hanukkah. So I'm lighting a menorah. He's like, wow, you're really serious about this. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm converting. It's happening. Mm -hmm. They were worried about me. They were, they were a little skeptical, you know, because all of a sudden I'm doing all of these things and they're like, well, we know all these Jewish people and they're not doing X, Y, and Z like you're doing. And I was trying to have the conversation about, you know, different paths and journeys and, becoming actually Torah observant and what that is. But the more they saw that I was healthy and grounded and still working to have good relationships with them, the more they just were able to continue to accept and support. I think that's an important piece of the story because you hear sometimes the person feels like they need to distance themselves from family to like go through the conversion or becoming observant if they're already Jewish and they push their family away. And it can make a real issue down the road because you could have a number of years where you have that disconnect and it can be hard to like reconnect. Right. So it seems like it was a good move on your part trying to bring them along kind of from the beginning of the process and say, this is what I want to do and I'm looking for you to support me. Right. And the thing is, is that it, it can be necessary within your own self to disconnect from how you've identified with them and with your upbringing because you are making a radical departure in your own psyche. And in order to do that successfully, there does need to be a disconnect but I always say that like the way to do it is that you should feel it but they shouldn't that you should do everything possible to within yourself to you know drop different identifications in order to fully come into yourself as a Jew and sometimes we do need to drop different sentimental attachments and things that we've had but the tachlis, you know, the lived relationship, they shouldn't feel that distance. If we're doing it in a way that's truly in alignment with Torah, we're being sensitive to their psychological experience, to their lived experience, and they've done nothing wrong. This is who they are. This is how God created them. This is their journey. You know, even though Xmas was never a religious celebration, you know, it was something that the family enjoyed and things like that. So when I, you know, was like, I'm not going to be participating anymore, of course, that's going to be hard and painful for them. But, you know, to out doing everything possible to soften the blow and to really care for them. So, you know, there is a distancing that needs to occur sometimes on the end of the person becoming Jewish or becoming religious. But I always say as much as possible, do not make your family feel that. So now you decide to go all in on the conversion. So take me inside that process, like where you do it and what it's like for you. Sure. So I was in um, Binghamton, New York. And my, the based in that I was meeting with, it was Lubavitch based in in Muncie, which is about two and a half hours away. I had gotten in touch with the Rav and his approach, he's so warm and so kind. And his approach was not to actively discourage me, but to make me the one who had to drive everything in the process. So he said, okay, for the initial meeting, I came down to Muncie to meet him. And one of the things he asked me was, well, you know about Sheva mitzvahs b'nei noach, the seven streams of connection or mitzvahs that are given to all mankind to connect to God and to live in alignment with God. And I said, yes. And he was like, well, why isn't that enough for you? Like, why do you have to be a Jew? And outside of just like this deep, <laughs> relentless driving from my own soul, it was really Shabbos for me was the breaking point. Like I couldn't imagine a life without Shabbos. 
And, you know, that is something that's a service that is unique to the Jewish people. So for me, the breaking point was Shabbos. That's that's how I really knew that, like, yeah, this is this is who I really am. I really do have this Jewish soul. And um, so he was satisfied with that answer. So he would give me different parts of um, the Shulchan Arach, which is the the Jewish code of law to learn. And then I would get tested on it by him. And so it was over the course of a year I would come to Muncie, you know, at different intervals to get tested on the halacha and to meet with him so he could see that, you know, the transformation was happening and and he was in touch with, you know, my rabbis and my community in Binghamton to see that I was, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk. And um, so after about a year, we finished Shulchan Aruch and he was like, all right, are you ready to go to mikvah? And I was like, yes, please. So <laughs> um, I'm so ready. So we scheduled for, you know, a week out, I think, from that meeting. And um, it was an incredible and surreal and very intense experience when I was finally able to go to mikvah. There was a massive spiritual momentum that's needed to make that shift during the conversion process that, you know, you're working so hard to get to this moment and to finally come and have that culminated. It was so incredible because there's sometimes, and I'm sure everyone who's been on this journey can relate. Like sometimes you're just like, I feel like this is never going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be in this limbo forever where I'm not yet fully in, you know, the spiritual status of a Jew, but I know I'm not a non-Jew. So to be in this state of existential limbo is so trying. So it's, it's so big and so surreal when you finally get to go to mikvah and you're officially, you know, your, your spiritual reality, because we learned that retroactively a conversion proves that the person actually always had that Jewish soul. So when your inner world, your inner knowing, and your external world, your halachic reality finally align, it is such a powerful moment. And it's just the beginning. It's the end of one phase, but it's just the beginning of (laughs) everything else that is to come. (laughs) And so I imagine this also opens the door now for you to move forward with marriage plans? Yes. Three or four months after um, I went to mikvah, we got engaged. And then we were married about six months later. Okay, so you really started checking some boxes after you went to the mikvah. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> Moving on in that process and journey. What, what are those conversations now like with your, now as your husband, as far as where you want to live, how you want to raise your family? What are those decisions like? Well, it was such a massive, a massive, massive blessing that our paths have continued to be totally parallel and in sync through our whole journey. And I, I that is not a blessing that I take for granted. At that point, we were both fully Lubavitch, and uh, there was a studio apartment ready for us in Brooklyn Heights in Brooklyn, so that's where we were going to go. My husband, um, he had a job lined up in the city, and so, you know, we were both fully on board with going all in, living life as Lubavitchers, so that was that was not even a discussion that had to happen. Um, that was just where we were and who we were. And how did you find it, like, as you got to know other couples, was it coming up this idea that he was born and raised Jewish, secular, but still Jewish, and you went through a conversion. Were you accepted the same way as anybody else, or were there some hurdles there? Another blessing that I don't take for granted, I've never had any pushback from anybody for the fact that, you know, I converted. It's really interesting because I I look back and I don't even feel like a person who converted anymore. Like, this is who I am. Like, my essence was always there. And 
it was just a matter of having to go through this process in order, again, for that inner reality and external reality to finally sync up. Right. And you said that your husband had a job lined up in New York Mm -hmm. City. So what are you doing career wise at this point? So at that point, I well, I had just finished grad school where I studied student affairs administration, which is one of those really cute, obscure niche areas that you can get a (laughs) master's degree in these days. So I was looking for a job uh, in a college. It took me a few months to find one. A couple months after we got married, I got a job at Pace University as a career counselor. Okay, so you're talking to like juniors and seniors, helping them get internships and start their lives after after they graduate. Yep, exactly. And and even though on a revealed level, my job was to, you know, counsel students on career paths and help them get internships and things like that. I knew, you know, my real mission there was to, as all of our missions, wherever we're going is to, you know, through whatever we're doing in whatever we're doing to increase awareness of true reality of God's presence in the world of our own souls, our own deeper purpose. So I was always trying to, without being awkward, you know, slide in points from Hasidus and points from Torah without making it so obvious, just like my students being like, whoa, you're deep. And, um, you know, wherever, wherever I could also, you know, inviting students for Shabbos meals. And so my husband and I, we were in like a 400 square foot studio apartment in Brooklyn Heights, and we were packing our table full every, every Friday night with students, which was incredible. And we were only like six years older than them at this point. Like, (laughs) I mentioned the intro that you're in Pomona. So I'm guessing either at some point, maybe your family gets too big or something that you can't be where you are and you, and you move. How does that come about? Yeah, so we, um, our first child was born about two years after we moved to Brooklyn Heights, and we lasted close to a year with him in our 400 square foot studio. And then we were like, nope, we got to upsize. <laughs> and we couldn't afford anything bigger in Brooklyn Heights. Nobody really can. So we ended up moving up to Muncie. Okay, and then I also mentioned in the intro, uh, Goula Vision. So I'm guessing there's a yes. point where you leave what you're doing at Pace and you and you start this opportunity. So I was still working at Pace University. That was my day job. But around four years ago, there was a big awakening of awareness in the Jewish world around the idea of Geula, which is the world in its redeemed state. And what that means in essence is each of us reattaining a deep face-to-face conscious relationship with God in a way that doesn't require us to dissociate from our human life when it's in fact when I'm living day to day in my human life I'm encountering God in the details essentially and I'm actualizing in ways that I never imagined possible so around four years ago we had all of the Geula gatherings that many women were um, organizing and within the Chabad world there was a new awakening to start deeply relearning the Rebbe's teachings on Geula that were so mind-blowing and so deep that it's taken like 30 years for people to really integrate them and revisit them. And one of the coolest things is that as the secular world has moved forward in their understanding of the power of the brain and the power of human consciousness and quantum reality, this has actually given us the ability to go into those teachings and say, I get how to do this now. We understand in a much more deeper, practical, let's do this way, what the Hasidus has been talking about, what the Rebbe was telling us and what he was talking about. So I was so inspired by this. I started my website, Geula Vision, and I was taking these teachings from Hasidus and, you know, giving them over in more practical ways and explaining 
where we kind of went wrong in continuing to tell people that, you know, we're stuck in Gullis, we're stuck in exile, and we just have to hold on tight and hope that the Messiah, Mashiach, is going to, you know, drop down from a cloud and solve our problems for us. Because it's very clear from the Torah itself that that's not how it happens when we learn the deeper teachings, especially the teachings that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave us in 1991 and 1992. And going deeper than we ever imagined and showing up in the world in new and empowered ways in order for us to really be the ones to usher in the Geula. I always say Geula isn't something that happens to us, it happens through us. So for the Jewish people, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift because we may have been relating to the Geula as something very passive. It's one moment, poof, white light, everything is perfect and amazing, but it's actually something that requires us to do a deep system upgrade within our own selves from the exile operating system to the redemption operating system. And we have those tools, you know, given to us really within within Torah. And so you launched GulaVision.com. So I imagine you're starting to do a lot of writing and speaking around these topics. Are you, are you going around to different places to, to share what you're learning? So, yeah, I, I was doing quite a bit of speaking. Mostly I was putting out videos on WhatsApp, which is it. And they just gained traction and gained a life of their own. And that was also very Gaula-dick. It was very <laughs> Gaula-ish. It was because it was very redeeming because, you know, I didn't have to leave my kids. I didn't have to like interrupt the flow of my daily life. I could have something that I deeply wanted to share from my heart, make a video, put it out on WhatsApp. And all of a sudden it would be in quantum speed, thousands of people having their consciousness changed. And that is Geula. That really is Geula. <laughs> so I was doing some in-person speaking, but it was really almost all digitally. Well, that's the uh, power of the internet. And so the writing advances all the way to the point that you actually publish a book. So tell me about that. Yes. So it's funny because my book, The Tanya Companion, it actually originated also as WhatsApp messages. I started putting out each day a summary of when we learn when we learn the Tanya, we learn a portion each day and we complete the Tanya, which is the seminal work of Chabad Hasidus. It's kind of a user's guide to the psyche each year. So I started out putting out a daily summary of each day's Tanya portion in layman's terms. While at the same time preserving the Hasidist terminology, I'm really passionate about people being able to use these technical terms accurately to describe their day-to-day experience. And so after I got through a year's cycle, my husband was like, I think you have a book. So, you know, it took another three years after that to do rewrites and edits. Uh, but thank God, right before Sukkis two years ago, um, or two Sukkises ago, uh, the book was published and came out. Got it. So it's called the Tanya Companion, and it goes yes. under the name Ani Lipitz or Chana? Yeah, it's published under the name Ani Lipitz. It's I was called Ani my entire life. My full legal name is Andrea, but I was called Ani as a nickname my entire life, and that's actually one of the things my husband said to me when I first met him, and he was trying to hit on me. He was like, oh, Ani's a Jewish name. <laughs> and I was like, mm, whatever. <laughs> but then he told me, you know, he's like, it means I, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um so yeah, so I, w- I went by Ani until this past Rosh Hashanah. I started getting this feeling like maybe it's time to transition to Hana. So that's what I've been doing. I'm glad you shared that so it can help our listeners find the book. So yes. 
how do you now talk to your kids given this like really incredible journey you have that even though you and your husband there was like a parallel path to it you also came from very different places so as your kids are getting older and understanding how do you tell them about your journey and how you're choosing to raise them so kids this these days they're born with such an incredible sophistication they can understand these things they just they just get it so when you explain to them in spiritual terms you know like every one of us comes into the world with a special mission and a special journey and many souls come into the world in many different ways they're just like oh obviously like you don't have to worry that they're going to think like oh that must be the right way or oh this is weird this is interesting when you're just honest with them about the fact that like we're all here on our journeys together and we all have a special mission they just get that because again they're still they're still connected to that reality in a much deeper and experiential way than you know many of us are we have to find our way back to that but raising them with that awareness, there's not so many questions. They're just like, oh, obviously, you know, like some souls come into the world in a non-Jewish family because they have a special mission to do that way. Duh. Is, is it interesting for you to watch um, as you and I have something in common kind of coming through the public school system that you didn't have the benefit of the yeshiva education and you see your kids when they're born and raised with it, how easily Hebrew comes to them and how well they can do in Judaic studies. And with my kids, I'm telling him I'll help you with your math, your science, your English homework. But the Judaic stuff, you unfortunately passed me in kindergarten. I'm like forever playing catch up. So what has that experience <laughs> been like for you? So for me, it's actually the opposite. I'm like, oh, I'll help you with all the Torah stuff, but math and science, <laughs> I don't want to touch it. No, thank you. <laughs> so it's been so for me, it hasn't been because, again, like my passion has really been learning Torah. Like people ask me, what's your favorite mitzvah? For me, it's learning Torah. I've always been um, more intellectual. And again, those spiritual experiences, I love them. And for me, deeply learning Torah, which is meant to be an experience of plugging into higher consciousness. The Torah is God's consciousness. And when we plug into it, ultimately, when if we're open to that, it, it can change our paradigms and it should change our paradigms. So for me, that aspect um, has not been such a challenge. Okay, so... You're someone who mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you were already seeking by the age of three. So where you are now, if you could somehow go back in time and give a message to that three-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell that little kid about the journey that was coming up? It's going to be really hard, but it's going to be beyond, beyond worth it in the end. Okay, that's a beautiful way to, to sum up your journey. So we like to close with all of our guests with something called the lightning round, where I'm going to ask you a bunch of quick questions. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. All right. So first, as a published author, what's one of your favorite books on Judaism that you've read? Um, I mean, the Tanya, the Tanya itself has been like my guiding force. Okay. So you just mentioned the Tanya. What do you think is a misconception or something people don't understand about the Tanya? A lot of people. So this is interesting because um, people who are kind of stepping into the Geula awareness, a lot of them have this question of like, how does Tanya still apply? It's it's telling us how to operate in a world where there's all of these dark forces that we have to navigate and we have to separate from the physical world and Geula is the opposite. It's becoming embodied. So how does the Tanya still apply? And that's when people have misconceptions of the Tanya, that it's all about you know stepping away from the physical world. But when you are paying attention to what you're really learning in a nuanced way, the Alter Rebbe who wrote the Tanya encoded within it all of the uh, telling us all of the technical inf information about how reality changes as we move through the Gula process and how to navigate our psyches 
as we continue moving, you know, into cooler and more awesome reality. Got it. And so we covered your conversion story. So give me a piece of advice you would give to a Jewish person who comes across someone who's in the process of converting as far as how they should treat them and and what they should think about that process. It is an awe-inspiring process because it requires you to turn your psyche inside out. And so to be as supportive to the person as possible and to listen to their story in a way that plugs you in more deeply to your story and who you really are, because each of us came into the world, even if you're born Jewish, even if you're born from, you know, you're born observant, your job is also to continue turning your psyche inside out and going deeper and deeper forever. So to take it as an example of the work that is also required of you, even if it's in a different context. Got it. And one thing I just realized didn't come up in our interview was Israel. So I'm wondering if you've been there and outside of the Kotel, what's one of your favorite places you visited? Yes, I've been there. I actually went on birthright. It was really interesting because I was already religious and I was engaged. So that was a really interesting experience for me, being like a religious engaged woman on the trip. Um, so, okay, yeah. So besides the Kotel, when we went to the Bedouin camp, actually, in the desert, that was actually one of the biggest spiritual experiences for me because I was having this, you know, experiential experience of like, I imagine like this is like Avram Avinu in his tent. Mm-hmm. This is what our ancestors were doing. And it was so powerful to plug into that. Fair enough. So last question, which we ask all of our guests, if someone comes to your house for Shabbos, what's the signature dish they can expect to enjoy? Oh, sourdough challah. Sourdough challah. Okay. Yep. Beautiful and a good one to end on. You are out of the lightning round. And Hannah, I want to thank you for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you very much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our executive producer is Rabbi David Pardo. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.